Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. With me as always is Tom Nixon. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jay. This is an exciting week for us. The week we've it been is. waiting for. I'd like to say we've all been waiting for, but you and I for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you might've heard me stumble over uh, the podcast name because uh, we what you're talking about in terms of exciting week is this is the launch of the registration for the Thought Leader Collaborative, which is our um, online community uh, membership and training program on LinkedIn and thought leadership for those looking to grow a practice in professional services. So yeah, it is an exciting week. Yep. And I sometimes get hung up too, because one is the Thought Leadership Project podcast. And that really, and then the Thought Leader Collaborative really is kind of like a philosophical extension of the other. So, you know, yeah. silly us, we put thought leader in both titles. So we yeah, have ourselves to blame. It's way too many syllables, <laughs> but <laughs> that's why we call the thought leader collaborative, the lab. Um, so that's you'll right. be hearing us refer to that as the lab moving forward. And for anyone who might be interested, I'd encourage you to visit thoughtleadercollaborative.com, which is where registration has opened. And for this week, the week of July 26th until registration closes on August 1st, uh, you can join as a founding member of the lab. Um, what that means is that you'll be able to join for uh, $29 a month, which is the lowest pricing we'll ever offer. Um, and registration is something that's only going to open uh, for three one-week periods uh, throughout the year. So it will not be open for um, about four months after we close registration this week. So if you're looking to kind of take your LinkedIn game to the next level, really learn how to create content that resonates with and helps build an audience and as a result helps you build your practice. Um, we encourage you to to join the lab and certainly in, in month one, the month of August when it opens, we have an exciting month of content and training prepared. Tom and I will be doing some training ourselves and we'll be welcoming a special guest as we'll do each month. Um, in August, Laura Frederick, who many of you will know is um, a prolific content creator and um, just a, a great person who has a lot of interesting insights will be joining us for a training uh, towards the end of the month. Um, and the lab will have, in addition to our live training, uh, a bunch of resources that you can access. We'll be sharing our best, uh, our best practices and you'll have access to a community of others who are uh, will be joining you in this journey. So Tom, anything more to add to that before we get started with today's show? Well, just to clarify that the founding member introductory rate, if you join before August 1st, is you're locked in at that for as long as you're a member. So as the price goes up, which we anticipate it will, right? You said it's never going to be that low again. So, yeah. but um, those who lock in as founding members will have that locked in for life. So that's one good reason to join. And of course, we'll just, we'll link to all of this in the show notes, as they say in the podcast business. So if you, if thoughtleadercollaborative.com is too many syllables for you, well, we'll put it in a single link. And with that, I think we should bring in our guest. Yeah, um, absolutely. So uh, I think we've got a perfect guest uh, for this launch week. Um, Alex Sue is joining us. And for those who are active on LinkedIn and the legal and legal tech communities, uh, Alex requires little introduction, but I'll just give him a brief one. Um, Alex is uh, the head of community development for Ironclad, which is a contracts technology company. Um, he was a, a formerly a practicing lawyer. He was an associate at Sullivan and Cromwell and also clerk for a federal judge. And with that, Alex, welcome to the show. 
Thanks, Jay. Uh, and, and Tom, and, uh, I'm just so thankful for being the opportunity to be here. Really excited to, to speak with you all. Great. Yeah, we're excited too. And as I mentioned, I think you are the perfect guest for um, this week on our podcast, which corresponds with the launch of our, our lab. Um, so we're excited to dig in with you about your approach to LinkedIn and some of the strategies that you'll be able to share with our listeners um, so that others can learn from your experience. Um, what we're hoping that people will be able to take away is that, you know, I know Alex, you've had tremendous success on, on the LinkedIn platform and you have a, a specific approach. Um, you know, your videos, I think everyone really um, gets a kick out of and appreciates as judged by the engagement that you get. But I think underlying, you know, what you do on the platform, there are certain core principles that probably apply to anyone, regardless of what means of creating and sharing content that they're they're engaging in, um, whether that be writing posts or, or doing videos themselves. Um, so excited to dig in about that. Um, and before we do that, though, I'd, I'd like you to maybe just start by talking a little bit about, you know, I guess I'll call it your bona fides on the platform. Um, and, and just maybe talk to us a little bit about your numbers on social media and kind of what, what you've built um, in terms of building a platform for yourself. Because I think that'll help just kind of set the stage a little bit. Um, I think one of the things we're trying to do is today is maybe speak a little bit to someone who, you know, maybe just is using LinkedIn, but not hasn't really taken a deep dive into content creation yet and, and maybe what's possible. So if you could just kind of contextualize your experience with maybe some of the numbers around audience and engagement that you have um, on LinkedIn and elsewhere. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I love the chance to brag and talk about myself. So um, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you the high level numbers, which is uh, today I have 44,000 followers on LinkedIn. Uh, across multiple platforms, I have over 100,000, but I'll focus today mainly on LinkedIn. Um, it's taken a while to get to 44,000. And I think follower count is uh, important to track. I do think I'm more proud of engagement uh, and view count. And so um, I use a tool to track my analytics and I, I see that I get probably around 2 million views of my content every month. Now, now this past month, I did have a, a higher than, than, than normal uh, view count uh, just because I think some of my content was really resonated. So I had two and a half million views in the month of June. Um, but generally speaking, I get about 100,000 views uh, for each post, about 1,500 likes, and about 150 comments, more or less, in the ballpark. And, you know, I think the most important part is that uh, all of this has translated for me into, you know, real business. And, and I got started with LinkedIn probably earlier than most lawyers did in 2016, where I had just a handful of followers and I just started posting content. Uh, so it's taken a while. Uh, to grow, but but certainly in the last year or two, uh, it's really grown. Uh, it's really sped up. So so I think for folks who are getting started out, uh, you don't you shouldn't expect that progress happens suddenly. It kind of slowly grows over time, and then suddenly one day it just jumps, which was my experience. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, and you know, I I have a a couple regrets. One of which is not buying Amazon stock and like. 2002, um, and another was that despite having joined LinkedIn right when it right when it started, I mean, I, I was the same way. I didn't really actually get um, active on the platform and learn it until much later. I mean, I would say even 
you know, in the last few years, um, where I really understood, you know, the potential started to understand the potential and started getting more active on it. Um, Alex, maybe you could, you could follow up on that. Um, again, maybe just providing some more context for what we'll be talking about in a moment, which is, um, I think, you know, for many people, numbers, you know, that makes sense to people. They understand, okay, if I get more followers, I'll have more visibility, you know, that might lead to, to business opportunities. Has your experience been that your efforts on LinkedIn and elsewhere on social media have actually um, resulted in opportunities for yourself? And maybe you could just describe how that has come to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think my platform right now is more mature than most. So uh, I wouldn't expect most LinkedIn folks to, to see this, but um, you know, I just started at my job at, at Ironclad uh, just in the first two months. Uh, I've been tracking how much revenue I've been able to influence and also source. And that's a total of about a million dollars in, in contract value. So uh, in software, we track uh, deal size by how much revenue they generate per year on a recurring basis. So, um, you know, I've been able to see that. But that, certain was, that certainly wasn't always the case. Uh, very early on, I had a much smaller following and I didn't expect much business to come out of it. But then people would start reaching out to me on the, uh, the DMs, the, the messages, saying that they were interested in taking a look at the software, interested in buying. And uh, after realizing that, I decided to triple down, double down, triple down on this um, to where today it's, uh, it's been a huge source of, of inbound business. Alex, could you real quick, could you um, reference the tool that you said that you use to you know, measure your metrics? What is that? It's called Shield, uh, Shield app. You can find it uh, pretty easily on LinkedIn. I know their founder is pretty active and you know, they're, I think that's shieldapp.com or something like that, but it's pretty common. Uh, it's, it's commonly used by, by folks who are, your know, creators who are pretty active and it provides you a breakdown of all of your posts, uh, how many views you get, comments, and also they show trend lines over time so you can see how your, prog uh, your progress has been. Yeah, cool. Well, and you mentioned 44,000 followers on LinkedIn. And Jay, uh, when he introduced you, referenced that you have a specific methodology that you're sort of willing to share. And not a single methodology will apply to everyone, but I would love to get in under the hood and look at how somebody built a platform of 44,000. Yeah, I, I think what you see today is also a function of what people have told me they want to see. So when I started off, started off on, on LinkedIn, um, I had just left the law and I went into sales for legal tech and everyone told me you need to be on LinkedIn and you need to post industry articles. So that's what I did. I started off by posting, hey, here's some legal tech articles. Now nobody liked, nobody engaged with them. This is in 2016, people weren't really active either. Um, and I felt like it was useless because no one was viewing it. Um, I still remember actually um, texting my friends from law school saying, hey, can you, can you like this so that it looks like somebody actually enjoys reading it. So, so that's what my experience was at the beginning. Um, but over time, so I, I got tired of that. I was like, that's not working. So I think one time I posted something about an experience I had working at a law firm or my career journey. And, and really people started like, like more, I think it was like 10 or 15 people liked it. And I, I was like, to me, that was the biggest, uh, most amount of engagement I ever got. So I kept on going in that direction, talking about the move from law to sales, law to legal tech. And over time, these were all text posts. Um, it, it slowly grew. You know, I would get 20 likes, then 50 likes, then 100 likes. I went viral a couple of times, and this is probably around 2017 or 2018. And so it's been a long grind. You know, it's, it's uh, over time, though, it was, it was more and more people. 
And it wasn't until, so I started in 2016. It wasn't until 2019 when I started getting consistently probably around hundred likes. And I thought, well, um, I want to focus on this. This is actually, there's something going on here. Uh, there's something special here. So I'm going to do a few things that will really lean into LinkedIn because I was trying to source business through cold calling and cold emailing. And I thought, well, LinkedIn could provide that opportunity. So um, it started off with uh, articles, sharing articles, Tom, and it went, it became sharing stories through text of my career journey. And then uh, after I really focused on it, uh, after doing a bunch of focus interviews with people who consistently like my content, um, I learned a bit more and it has evolved to TikToks, memes, videos, all these different things, but it's all because of the research and the understanding of what my target audience wants from me. It, can you just last follow up and then I'll turn it back to you, Jay. What, how do you bridge that engagement to an actual sale, right? Because if somebody comments on your post, you don't follow up with a DM and say, hey, you want to buy from me, right? So how does that, how does that work for you? Because I think that's like the missing ingredient that people are looking for. Like I, I can see getting engagement and I can see the value in that, but then how do I turn that into business? So what was your experience? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at your LinkedIn profile page, that's like a landing page, a traditional landing page that converts somebody who's consider, considering buying your services or, or product to actually reaching out to you. So you've got to have your work listed. You've got to write what your company does. Um, for us in technology, it's often, you know, are you a contract technology or e-discovery? You know, there's, there's a lot of different types. Um, and then tying it into a story, um, like, so your, your, your page is really a landing page that tells a story that tries to get people to to, to reach out to you or, or find at least you at least find you interesting. So, so, so that's, that's the landing page. Your content is there to drive attention because these platforms want to promote organic content. So you'll get this huge reach, right? You know, I, I know that we all post on LinkedIn. Um, I get more views on LinkedIn and social media posts than, than anything else. And so because so many people read the content, it makes them wonder, okay, who is this person who wrote this? This is a very interesting post. Let me go check their profile. So it goes from the post um, to the profile. And, and sometimes they'll reach out right then and there, which has happened. You know, last year, there was somebody who said, hey, I didn't realize you did contract. We actually are looking for, we have an initiative. We have got budget to buy something. Can you do it? Can you set up a demo? So that's one example of a very fast cycle. But most of the time, the vast majority of people, like if you, um, if you make cold calls like I did for sales, you realize that the number one objection is, hey, now's not, a right, now's not the right time. By continuing to nurture people with consistently posting content, you're staying top of mind so that when the time is right, they come in and reach out to you, which is highly efficient, right? Instead of knocking on their doors, trying to ask them for business, they come to you when it's ready. they're ready to buy. So, so the DMs are where I've seen the most action in terms of sales, but the vast majority of people out there, like... Um, there, there's a lot of lurkers on LinkedIn, as you know, like 99 out of 100 people never post anything. So you would be surprised at who actually is out there reading your stuff. Yeah, that, that really resonates. I mean, I think that um, that's the whole, you know, the, 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 the real tie there is in terms of creating content and being visible on the platform is um, you know, addressing that un unpredictable nature of demand, right? You don't always know. It's hard to do sales and professional services and in the B2B world uh, when you're just doing uh, continual outreach. Uh, your content allows other people to discover you and, and it creates that positive association between you, your ideas and, and what your underlying services are. And so then people, when they 
encounter you know the the problem that they're facing that you could help solve they immediately think of you so that that really makes sense alex and and it is always better better to get that um inbound opportunity versus always trying to go outbound with it um you know alex you had you had mentioned something previously um when we had a, a exchange before the the podcast um, via email that really interested me, which was um, talking about you know kind of gaining that critical mass of followers. Um, you you said you you need to do some things that don't scale, um, especially at the beginning when you're establishing a relationship and a, and a relationship with your audience and and developing a follower um, ship. And I think that relates to kind of gaining an understanding of what your audience wants, as you talked about. But can you talk a little bit about what you mean by? You know, do some things that don't scale in the process of building a scalable audience on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I love this because it's also commonly repeated advice in the startup world. Do things that don't scale. Uh, don't expect to press a button and see success. You've got to kind of build it one brick at a time, and over time you'll see results. And so for me, you know, when I first started off posting those articles, it was really just my friends from law school, my friends from college, and then as they liked more of my content. Um, it would be shown to their networks. So it was almost like it was first degree connections, then it became second degree connections. And then over the course of a long time, I saw that there were certain people who I didn't know, um, who I'd never met before, who would consistently like my content. And, and those were, I, I would consider my champions, people who really supported me, or at least my message. So I did this for a few years. And then as I mentioned, I think earlier on, I decided to really focus on LinkedIn you know, probably towards the end of 20, middle or end of 2019. And I decided, okay, I'm going to borrow some concepts from the tech world, the startup world, and use it for my content. Like if my content is a product, like how do I make the best product possible? Well, I got to understand, you know, who are, who's my target audience and, and what are they like? What are they thinking about? Why do they like my stuff? So I, I decided that when I decided that I would focus on it, um, I came up with a list of names of people who seem like they really like my content. And I asked them, I asked them for a call, uh, 10 minutes, very short call, sometimes 30 minutes if they were interested. And I just wanted to meet them. I wanted to understand um, why they like my content, but also like, wh what are their thoughts and concerns? What are they worried about? What are they excited about? What are they inspired by? And I, I did this over a hundred times. I had over a hundred conversations and it got me to understand that there were different segments of my initial audience. And um, it helped me understand what types of content they resonated with. Um, and at that time, I, it, there was, there was uh, the core audience of lawyers, and there was also uh, a core audience of tech salespeople who were similar with me. And I made the conscious decision to focus on that, that first group, the, the lawyers, as opposed to the tech sales group, because I believe that there was a, a lack of supply or lack of quality content for lawyers, but there was a lot for, for, for tech sales already online. So, so I focused on the lawyers. And so I started to, you know, do a lot of these one-on-one -on -one interviews with, with lawyers. Uh, and over time, because my ultimate target were in-house lawyers, um, at first it was all sorts of different types of lawyers. Over time, I, I got to narrow that as my audience grew. And so it got to the point where now I kind of have a cycle, a flywheel almost of, of uh, you know, I could read the comments, I could, you know, talk to certain people. So now it's a little different, but in those early days, it was so important to do those one-on-one -on -one conversations to understand and to build a kind of a small relationship with, uh, with each one of these, um, you know, early champions. Yeah, that's uh, that's great advice. I would encourage you know everyone to do that uh, in terms of having those conversations with people in their network and understand what what they're looking for. Um, Alex, 
In the last couple of weeks, uh, you wrote a text post and it got tons of engagement and it started something along, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of when I started at Big Law, I wasn't a very good associate. I think that's along the lines of what you wrote in your first sentence of that post. Right. Um, and as I mentioned, that got thousands of reactions, hundreds of comments. Um, and I wanted to kind of start with that because I think it's a great example of um, you know how to write a good post if people will link to that in the comments to the show. Um, but you know, it's got a great hook. Uh, it it kind of grabs people's attention from the first sentence, gets them to click, see more. Um, it's a, you know, it's clearly you're telling a story there and it's something, you know, it's a story that's maybe unexpected. Right. Um, so I, I wanted to raise that because I was interested in asking you about some of your specific, you know, advice, tactical advice as it relates to creating LinkedIn posts and, and how you think about that. You mentioned storytelling, which I agree is, is critically important, but, um, you know, if, if you could expand more on that and just some, maybe some other tips for people who, as they're thinking about like, how do I craft an effective post on LinkedIn? Yeah, I can share some, some principles um, because I think the principles are more important because everyone has a different audience and your content will, you know, I got a lot of engagement on that content, but it's because it's a function of the core audience I built over time, which may be different than yours and, and anybody else's. So at the very highest level, it's a post about sharing setbacks earlier in your, in your career and over time uh, developing and finding your own path. That's a message that really resonates with my audience. So I knew that that would do well, but tactically I would say, number one, you always want to start off with something that captures people's attention. Like you need to hit, hit them right in the first sentence or so. Um, for me, that was sharing that I wasn't a good associate. And I think that's a unique message on LinkedIn where most people are bragging about how good they are. So that captures your attention to read more. And another concept is as you go through my post, which I, I have pulled up here, um, you wanna also include kind of a story. I think a lot of people like to, to tell, uh, kind of tell, be very trend, like just be very open about what they're trying to tell people, like bang, bang them on the head with it. But if you tell a story and then kind of slip in a little more of the story at the end, which is what I did, um, that allows the, the reader to really engage with the content and really think through like, oh, what does this really mean? And so I think those were a couple of things that worked really well for this post. And, you know, we got 6, 000, it has 6,000 um, likes and about almost half a million views. That's not a common occurrence. It's, this is more unique, right? But you could take this principle uh, to make your content better, these principles, use um, stories, have a good opener, and make sure the overall topic is tied to your core audience. Um, I think one thing that people also try to do uh, a lot of is they focus on the tactics, like, um, mm -hmm. you know, how many comments should I leave? How, you know, should I, should I leave my own comments on my, uh, my own post? Or should I reach out to my engagement pod to, to like it? Like, I think those things can help a little bit, but in the long run, um, it, it, it can be harmful to your overall audience building because the audience is really who, like, who drives the views. Like I don't, it's not because I'm a wizard at content. It's really because I've created a relationship with my audience. Are there any things that you would, uh, you touched on a couple just now, but anything you would tell people to avoid that maybe to a newcomer looks like a good idea or sounds like a good idea. Maybe they've seen others do it and they want to try it. But um, I'm thinking of things like um, begging for comments, like asking for comments. Just So what are your like maybe short list of to don'ts? Okay. Um, this is very unique to me. And I'm going to, like any good lawyer, give the, the disclaimer that 
my experience may not be the same as everyone's. Hmm. Um, with that out of the way, I am not a fan of engagement pods. I think they are helpful in the beginning to get you some engagement, but then it, it, it throws you off of your audience building journey. Like you don't know who really resonates with your content, which is really the driver. So engagement pods, I'm not a fan of. Um, I think some of the tactical things, like if you've seen some people leave posts and then, and then kind of put like, you know, five or 10 of their own comments to try to drive the algorithm, because as you know, comments will, will bring your content to the top of the feed. I think that's along the same principle. I would avoid that just because it becomes very clear what you're doing. You're just trying to, you know, push your content um, without, you know, improving the quality of the content. Um, and I would also avoid uh, messaging people and asking them for likes. Um, I would use it sparingly. Like if it, if it makes sense, I would, you know, you know, maybe sometimes it makes sense, especially if you're tagging someone and you want to celebrate them, you want to let them know that it's there. But that also has the same problem of like, it's not, it doesn't, it takes you off the journey of, of building a, a legitimate audience. And, you know, I think also these days, people are really into polls. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, like, like polls, I actually haven't posted a poll in a while. And I've been guilty of this, right? I'm not going to pretend like I, I haven't done these tactical things. But um, I think polls are, are not a great way to build your audience. They are good to do it, like, occasionally to get engagement if you really want to have, um, you really want to understand your audience. But if you'll notice many of the people who post polls, like these questions are not like, they're kind of silly. They're just like, yes or no. Or like, it's, you know, it's obvious that they want to use the poll to get views. So I think those are some of the things I would avoid. Um, and I would just, you know, try to post a lot of legitimate content and see what resonates with people and iterate over time. And, and it's hard because and I, I've said this to other people, I've advised a lot of people on this. It's, it's just harder to do it this way, but, but, the, the rewards are that over time, what you build is super valuable and, and can't be destroyed by, by the algorithm. Like I have people who have bookmarked my content so that the algorithm doesn't matter. They check it a certain time every day. Like those are the kinds of things that happen if you build it legitimately. Right. Yeah. You almost become like the water cooler around people, around which people want to have conversation about certain topics that you focus on um, in your content. And I, I would reiterate, you know, that advice, Alex, of, you know, definitely tread cautiously when it comes to things like engagement pods, because to your point, it really can help or it can, it can hurt your ability or, or diminish your ability to understand what is really resonating. Um, you know, if you're, if you're getting engagement, but it's just people are, are reacting to your your comments and your uh, posts because they feel they need to, then you're really not going to have a sense of what people really want to hear. So I, I, I do think that's important. And also, I mean, I love the way you talk about storytelling and kind of, you know, not just telling people, you know, what you think they need to know, but rather allowing them to sort of trip over the truth through your storytelling. I often say, I think people are generally less interested in, in what people know than how they came to know it, you know, through their experience and through their own personal journeys. So if you can um, do that through your posting strategy, I think you'll, you'll find it to be uh, much more successful. Um, Alex, to follow up and kind of continue on this progression of like, we've talked about, you know, how to kind of go about thinking about building an audience, um, tactical advice as it relates to posting strategy. And, uh, you know, another question that comes off frequently is post frequency. Like how often should I be posting? Um, how often do I need to be, uh, you know, putting myself out there and, and sharing content on LinkedIn? And I imagine part of your advice is going to be, it depends on what your goals are, but, you know, for someone who's really decided they want to lean into, uh, you know, being a, 
active content creator and building an audience on LinkedIn. Do you have any advice around that issue? I, I'll, I'll tell you what I did and kind of try not to generalize it too much. But mm -hmm. when I first started off, it was twice a week um, and I got some decent growth. Uh, I think the most important part in the beginning stages is to make sure you just put out content consistently, not necessarily because you want to build up followers, but you want to understand who is resonating with your message, what type of content is good, and to build up your muscle of, of writing good content. Um, when I told you I, I decided, made a deliberate decision to focus on LinkedIn uh, on growth, if you're focused on growth and you have kind of dialed in who your target audience is, that's when you really need to make a serious commitment. Um, what I did was uh, right at the end of 2019, I decided that I would post once a day for a year. Um, and that was 2020. Never imagined that COVID would happen. Never imagined these all these other trends would happen. I said, if I could just do, do this once a day for a year, and it wasn't even once a day, uh, every day, it was once every weekday. Um, and as COVID happened, and as I saw the opportunity, I started to do once every single day, and then sometimes twice a day. Um, I do think that it can be overdone. You do have some, like, like I think you, you can overwhelm the algorithm a bit. Like if you put out twice, two con pieces of content every day, you will arrive in lots of people's um, timelines. But it also, there's this counter effect of your quality of posts will be lower and it just, people will like it less just because they might be tired of seeing you all the time. Yeah. So right now I've kind of dropped my cadence down to uh, twice or three times a week, maybe four times if I'm more active, but there's no fixed answer. And I would say um, to the extent that you ever have trade-offs you need to make, make sure your content is super high quality. And high quality comes in many forms, but just make sure that people, you're making something that people want or it serves you some goal of yours. And then second, if, if you've got maybe like, so we'll call it 10 pieces of content you can generate. Um, I would do 10 pieces that are good over a month versus 20 in a week that are all kind of medium quality. Like the quality is really, it draws people in and over time, like it really has a huge impact that nobody really sees in the early days. Like in the early days, you see like, you know, you try to drive the, the, the easy likes, but if you create compelling content, people will, like I, I've got these crazy stories of, of my target audience of being in-house counsel. Like they're all out there sharing my posts with each other. Uh, it's creating dialogue and it's making that, like their peers are telling people about my content and th those folks are coming to me and, and following me and engaging my content. So so that's what what's at the end of the, that's the light at the end of the tunnel. But in the beginning, you're, you know, you might say like, oh, I'm just going to do 20 posts this week for every, every week for a long time. And, and that can be counterproductive because the quality of the post does decline. Yeah, that's yeah. a trick. And I was just going to say, it's a good segue back to the thought leader collaborative, not to be overly promotional ourselves, but uh, Laura started with the idea in August of posting once a day for a month. She was just going to do it for 30 days. And obviously, uh, no spoiler. Well, spoiler alert: you can turn down your podcasting thing if you don't want to hear how it turned out. But she's went on, and she, you know, she's got the Shield app too. And she saw all this engagement, and eventually, the engagement led to real relationships, and the real relationships led to new business, and you know, the rest is history. And she, it all started with the commitment, like Jay, you took to post every single day, and you, I don't think you've missed a day, have you? Maybe, Maybe not even uh, New Year's Day. Uh, I, I have missed a few days, Sam. I have okay. to admit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it became a point where, you know, on vacation, I was worried about, uh, you know, getting the wrath of Heather if I was spending <laughs> time on LinkedIn. So, right. so I have, but, but generally speaking, yeah, no, the consistency has been there. It's so I'll also add here that what can also be helpful is if you use a scheduling tool, 
Uh, I used to pre-write all when I was doing once a day or twice a day, I was pre-writing them on the weekends and evenings. And, you know, I had a, you know, a young baby at home. And so I would, you know, be in the dark, you know, on my laptop. Um, <laughs> it's work you can do in advance, but, but yeah. It, Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Tom, before I, can I ask, I want to ask Alex one quick follow-up um, because I think, you know, when he was talking about, you know, his shift um, or Alex, I can speak directly to you when you're talking about <laughs> your shift from posting, um, you know, every day to maybe uh, a few times a week now, um, it, it, it strikes me that, you know, once you probably achieve sort of that critical mass of followers, um, there's almost maybe a, some benefit to creating a little bit of a scarcity effect, right? Because I know so many people talk about looking forward to your posts, like there's, you know, I can't tell you how many guests we've had on who have referenced you or just in conversations when I've been talking to clients about LinkedIn, um, they will talk about your posts. So I feel like, yes, they are actually looking out for your content now and maybe doing a little bit less actually has the potential to create more engagement on some of the posts, the fewer posts that you do. Um, so that, I mean, I think that there's, there's sort of a, you know, everyone has to take that with a grain of salt in terms of you also mentioned early on, it's it's good to post, you know, maybe every day if that's really your goal is to be um, super engaged on the platform. But there is maybe that shift that would take place. And it makes sense to me that scarcity at some point creates more demand and more engagement on a particular post. Um, and the, the actual question uh, that I have beyond this rant would be, um, if, as you've built your audience, I imagine you've had certain posts, um, I don't know what percentage if you can assign to it, that have really help spike your growth over time. Like it hasn't, it's not always equal distribution of like, this really drove a lot of uh, followers and, and new audience to you. That's probably been some smaller percentage of your post. W would you say that's the case? Absolutely. And I'll make a couple of comments. Um, the first is last month, I had two and a half million views on my content. I think 1 million, 1 million of those. So that was that 40%, is that 40%? Um, that was from one single post. Mm -hmm. um, this is a very outlier driven game. It's, you know, you have one post that goes viral that makes up a lot of your performance. Um, I wanted to go back also to what you were saying about frequency because when I tried two, two posts today, it was very tiring. And I realized like I was actually getting, I wasn't getting more, more views. Um, I thought I would get, I knew I wouldn't get double the views, but I, but I thought I would get a little bit more, but my view count went down significantly. Hmm. And I tried a lot of things and I think it was not the algorithm. Like I thought it was the algorithm at first. It's not the algorithm. It's the people. Honestly, my, my sense was that people were just tired. They're like, oh, mm, I don't really like this one. I'll wait for Alex's next post. Mm, this one's okay. I don't know. So, so when I did that, I realized that was actually being counterproductive. And then it was at that moment I read an article too. And I, I, I read a, a lot of um, uh, media uh, operator, uh, sub stacks and, you know, Twitter posts like, um, I think there's a lot of parallels between what we're doing here on LinkedIn and, and media companies. And there was a really interesting article I read that said, you know, there was a, some type of media company that went real, because everyone in, in, in journalism, they think that you've got to post a million news articles every day. There was one of them that actually reduced the, the frequency of posts and they saw an, like a dramatic increase in engagement and views. And so I thought this is worthwhile to try out. And so I downshifted it. Um, this is also coincided with when I started making TikToks. Uh, also, TikTok was something that I'm something I'm well known for now, but like in the beginning, it wasn't kind of what I wanted to do. But my audience told me that they wanted to see that. So you have to listen to your audience. I focused on TikTok while kind of holding, putting LinkedIn in a holding pattern. I actually thought my view count would drop, but because I, I reduced the frequency, um, 
I guess the quality went up. I don't know what happened, but it, it, the views like stayed the same and, and actually got me more followers. Meanwhile, I was making TikTok content that I could then pick the best ones and bring them onto LinkedIn. So these things all kind of like accelerated everything. I have one last question, um, and that is about metrics, going back to that. And I think people have heard you talk about engagement. They've talked about audience growth, um, likes, clicks, reactions, comments. What do you think is the most important thing that people should measure as they're starting to get active on LinkedIn? How will they know it's working in your mind? So the first thing I would look at is views. Um, and specifically post views, because if you've noticed like some of these metrics, like what, what are they really measuring? They're measuring, well, first of all, is this content resonating with people? And the algorithm is smart enough to not just look at likes. They also look at people like lurking or reading your comments. So, so view count is a good proxy for everything else, because as long as, so, so for me right now, I focus on views because I think if the views are there, um, the comments will come. It means the comments will be there. It means people will like it, but also over time, followers will, will, will you know, decide to follow because uh, they see the content is worthwhile. So that's what I would focus as the, the primary metric. Yeah, I, I like what you said, just to piggyback off that, Jay, and then I'll turn it off to you. It's like views, I think, can be a leading indicator and a lagging indicator, right? Because the views are probably happening because the engagement's happening further down. So comments, like you said, that will send a signal to the algorithm that this is good content and serve it into other people's feeds. And now you have more views. So I think that if you can only measure one thing, that might be the thing, Jay, I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, that, that I agree with that. And I, I sometimes will say to people, you know, one of the things that, you know, a, a metric that, that I like is, um, you know, views beyond follower count. So like, is your content reaching beyond your immediate audience, which means people, you know, the algorithm, I guess, is determining that it's something that people are interested in and, and wanting to show it to more people like the people in your network. And that's, that's really a, a key metric. I think if you're consistently posting content that is either, you know, add or, or hopefully getting beyond your follower count, that means you're doing something right. Um, I don't know, Alex, what you think about that. I love that you brought that up because I, you know, one, one metric I always looked at and, you know, view count is probably the most important one, but I look at several ones. And, um, they paint a really good picture. Like uh, one rule of thumb I use is um, if you look at someone's series of po old posts, approximately what percentage of their total follower count um, is the likes. So if you have 1% of your total number of followers liking your content, that's considered pretty strong. So if you have, if you have a thousand followers, you're getting 10 likes, um, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, just as for me, you know, if I, I have 44,000 followers now, if I have a post that doesn't get more than 440 likes, I think, well, that's actually, something's off here. So that 1% rule is what I've used to gauge. And you'll find if you look at other creators, there's some folks with like millions of followers, but very, you know, very small percentage of likes. They, they, it may be impressive, right? Maybe thousands of likes, but such a huge base of followers versus you look at a smaller creator who has maybe 10,000 followers uh, or even 1,000 followers and they get, you know, hundreds of likes. That is someone to watch. And that is someone who really gets what's what's happening. So percentage of likes as compared to their total follower count, that's a metric I, metric I look at too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Alex, as we kind of wind down here, I mean, I think one thing that to me uh, that really struck me during this conversation is that 
Um, and I don't know, I guess maybe I'll paraphrase what I, what I think you said, and maybe you can correct me or expand upon this, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're someone who maybe is um, on LinkedIn, but hasn't really uh, figured things out yet, or hasn't really uh, taken a, a dive into the deep end, you're never going to think your way into the right strategy necessarily. You have to kind of get out and do it, get engagement from your audience, see what resonates, understand from, from your audience what they're looking for. Um, and that's the path to success. Is that is that kind of a decent summary of like, at least from someone from a mindset standpoint needs to take away from this conversation? It is. A lot of what I've talked about today is about optimizing, but if you're looking at the beginning parts of your journey, you really need to throw 10 posts out. You'll find that maybe half of them people just don't really engage with. There may be one or two of them that are super popular. Like focus on those, but you can't get that data until you put stuff out there. And over time, there'll be more interesting things for you to do, like do those calls with the people who liked, who consistently like your content. And over time, there's a lot of tactics and strategy that plays into it. But in the beginning, it's all action. If you don't put in any action, nothing's going to happen. And Alex, you just used my favorite two words to describe my takeaways from this is you said over time. We can't preach that enough. So it's great to hear you say it. As somebody who, you know, 44,000, I used to be conditioned to think anyone that's got 44,000 followers, you know, paid for it and bought likes or whatever, you know, which you could do, right? But that's not going to do you any good. It might feed your ego and it might send the misleading signal to your future followers that you're popular, but it won't be organic. And the whole thing, Jay, that we keep preaching is this, it, it does take time. If you want it to be authentic, it, it needs to take time. It's not a, you know, quick hit, quick fix. So appreciate that, Alex. Yeah. Um, well, Alex, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll double down on that because I don't even track follower count anymore. It's something I look at a glance at. Um, it just ha has happened. And, and, you know, as you mentioned over time, like in the beginning, it was like one or two people per week. And it was like, oh, this is going to take forever. I never thought I would have this many followers. I thought people with a thousand followers were like, wow, that's so many people. Um, and then, you know, between, I think last week and this week, um, I think I had it here written on my document. I had 43,000 followers in this past week. I added a thousand. I have no idea where they came from, to be honest with you, but, but it compounds. And it's like, in the beginning, you focus on it so much. And over time, you just focus on what is that? Uh, you just focus on the field and the score will take care of itself. Like that's, that's my mentality. Love it. Awesome. Well, Alex, I think that's a great place to wrap up here today. Um, we'll definitely include links to everything and where people can, uh, can find you in our show notes, but any, uh, anywhere, I mean, I'm, obviously people should follow you on LinkedIn is probably the answer to this question, but where would you point people if, if not to LinkedIn anywhere else? Yeah, follow me on LinkedIn. Um, that is where I think my, my platform is most mature and I'm most proud of my work. But if you're very curious, I am on Twitter, Instagram, and also TikTok. That's where I'm still in growth mode, where I'm still experimenting. So a lot of the stuff there is less polished, a little weird. And you know, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing there. But, but LinkedIn is a great place to, to reach out and connect with me. Fantastic. All right. Well, again, Alex, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. It was it was great. I think our listeners will get a ton out of this episode. And um, to everyone listening, uh, as we mentioned at the start of the show, if you're interested in the Thought Leader Collaborative, visit thoughtleadercollaborative.com. And we hope you'll join us in the lab. And uh, Tom, any closing thoughts? Uh, just uh, look for an invite in your inbox, Alex, to be a guest in a future month, maybe even September. <laughs> So. <laughs> well All thanks right. for having me this is great I really enjoyed it
Fantastic. Thanks, Alex. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.